Thank you, everyone. We appreciate your patience. We, um, it's like a rain delay. <laughs> you never know when they're going to pull the tarp off. And here we are. Uh, hello, my name is Karen McGuire. I'm the superintendent here at Tri-County. We appreciate your coming out on this evening to our presentation for the building project. Um, with me tonight, I have members of our school committee from our 11 towns. We also have the members of our school building committee. And then we have representatives from Consigli, from uh, DRA, which is our um, OPM, and um, I'm sorry, Dora Whittier, our OPM, and DRA, our architects. We're going to go through a slideshow with you tonight. We also have our bond council, Lynn here from Unibank, who will be talking about uh, what the cost impacts will look like by community, since we have those numbers now. Um, I, this is the end of my second year here as superintendent, and since the day I walked in the door, people were saying to me, what's the number? Um, so today we have the number, so well, roughly what we think it's going to be. So at any rate, without any further ado, again, I apologize for the mix-up. We checked it at 4 o'clock before our last meeting, and everything worked fine then, but I don't know, the mice or something. So um, I'll turn it over to you, to, to, to so. Christina or to Carl. All right, thank you. They have these now? Here. Now we have a... Um, you go first, too? I can go first. Okay. So we have a little gizmo here for your oh. trip. No? There we go. There you go. That's perfect. Okay. There we are. Okay. Okay. I'm going to give it to Carl because I might do something wrong with that. Okay. Um, thank you very much, Karen. <clears throat> My name is Trip Elmore. I'm with Doran Whittier, uh, and I've been uh, hired as the OPM as the first consultant hired for this project, as it was uh, accepted by the MSBA. Um, we have, as you can see by this time graph here, or timeline, is we have proceeded through <clears throat> several of the steps that the MSBA prescribes that we must follow in order to be part of their grant funding program. Uh, we have uh, gone through the eligibility stage, we've assembled the project team of uh, the OPM, the designer, and now we have the constructor Consigli on board. Uh, we've looked at the feasibility study and what's key about this is that the MSBA process says you have to understand what your education is first and foremost then you have to figure out what solutions meet that educational need for the communities that are supporting this. It's not a process where put a number out there and then do whatever you can for that number. It's all education based at the beginning. And, uh, and fundamentally that's the right way to look at a facility that's gonna be around for 50 years. And so um, following that step, we did that in feasibility and as you may have seen in other public meetings you might have attended, we've gone step by step with multiple options that meet that educational need. Narrow those down to three options that would meet that educational need. Select one that you would then further study where you can actually put a schedule together and you can actually put a number together. And based on more information for that one option, you then would go to the MSBA for their approval and then go to the community for their support. And if those two things happen, the project proceeds into what would be detailed design and a lot more understanding of um, what goes into the building and how it's going to be scheduled and when the students can move in. So right now we are coming to the conclusion of step number four, which is <clears throat> the schematic design. And so uh, 
I am now going to turn it over to the architect to show some of the um, summary level uh, aspects of this project that have been designed over the last six months in the schematic design process. With that, I'd like to turn it over to Paul Franceschi from DRA. Thanks, Trip. Oops, which one are we going here? Yeah, you know what, I think it's toggled on. Yeah. There we go. All right. I got it. Okay. So, um, thanks very much. Thanks for your patience and your interest in this project. Um, as Tripp mentioned, we're the architects for the project, and, and we started off um, both helping the school develop that education plan, but we also were evaluating existing conditions because we had no preconception as to whether this would be an addition um, renovation of the existing school um, or um, an entirely new, new building. Um, some of the things that we found, those who are familiar with the building may be uh, already understood, but there certainly were certain issues here from a facilities point of view that, that needed addressing, both inside and outside of the, of the school, particularly the, the infrastructure of the building, um, some of the um, uh, ongoing issues they've had with uh, plumbing pipes and, and, and other um, infrastructure that very um, costly and, and uh, difficult to, to address. Um, but in, in the end, after going through uh, the, that series of options that Tripp mentioned in the feasibility study, we did land on the, the preferred option being new construction. The, the cost difference between new construction and the other options was, was actually minimal. They were basically in the same order of magnitude, and the value of the new construction project, for a lot of reasons, made, made more sense. Um, and the um, elimination of disruption of trying to do an addition or an, uh, renovation or an occupied building was also a big factor too. So this is a rendering of the proposed new school. Um, it, it, will, it will be located kind of behind this existing building where the teacher parking lot is now and the solar panel um, array. So it can be built on a portion of the site that um, while the existing school stays in operation. We will relocate the uh, uh, teacher parking to an area of the site. Uh, the baseball field um, may be lost during the construction period uh, to parking, but otherwise is minimal disruption to the ongoing operations of the school. And the new driveway there coming up from the bottom of the slide is basically the driveway that you drove up tonight, um, just continuing on in the same alignment, so just to get oriented as to where the school is. So um, the existing school, uh, once it's removed, will become a parking lot in front of the new school there. So this is the front elevation of the building. Um, and then as you come inside the building, one of the features of the building is um, the way it's organized in, in kind of reflection of the education plan. There is a student commons. Um, it, it functioned as not only the cafeteria, but it is kind of the student um, uh, hangout spot before school, after school. Um, it, it obviously functions as a cafeteria, but also as a, a lobby because it's adjacent to the gym, it's adjacent to the auditorium. It is a two-story space um, with a lot of uh, natural light in it. Here's another view of it from the second floor looking down. Uh, the, the gym and auditorium are to the right in, in this um, uh, rendering, and there's a courtyard where the natural light is coming in from the left. 
Um, another space we just uh, want to share the rendering of the library media center, also in the front of the building, getting a lot of natural light um, in a very flexible space um, with both open sort of collaborative areas, but also private um, student study rooms in, in there as well. Um, one of the other features of the way the building is laid out is that the, the public areas of the building, like the restaurant and the cosmetology salon that are open to the public, you may be familiar with that, will have a more direct entrance into those spaces than they do today. This is a rendering of the uh, restaurant that the culinary arts students will support. You can see it has access to an outdoor patio too, so in good weather there could be some tables out there. But it's right on the front of the building as well, very accessible directly and safely from, from uh, customer parking. And one of the other features in the building, um, the school wanted an auditorium. Um, but as we thought about it, we wanted to make it as useful and flexible a space as possible. So unlike this space, which one, it's a little bit small for the size of the school, but two, it's not very flexible. It has fixed seats and you could do presentations here on the stage, but that's about it in, in a sense. Um, we, we thought that um, having a larger space but more flexible space makes more sense for, for Tri-County in the long run. So what we're showing is these are auditorium style seats, like what you're sitting in now, but they're arranged on a substructure uh, much like uh, gymnasium bleachers. So they can be retracted and then you'd end up with a flat floor that um, it becomes multi-purpose. So this is when the uh, seats are retracted. You now have a flat floor, it could be a you know, a robotics competition, could even be, a, you know, an auxiliary gym station. You could move in wrestling mats and have practice and wrestling meets in here. It is a two-story space with a balcony around it. Um, so it works for a variety of functions. Here's a, a layout of the building. Um, the, the colors show different materials because we, we do need to develop a very good cost estimate at this time, so we wanted to be detailed about the, the um, uh, the materials being used for the estimator's purposes. But the, the plan, you can see, is basically a courtyard. Um, that rectangle in the, in the center is open to the sky. It's an outdoor courtyard there. The main entrance is at the lower left, right immediately adjacent to the administration area for security purposes and supervision. But the customer entrance is on the right there, that other angled entrance, right directly into the uh, culinary arts restaurant and the cosmetology salon. And the building is organized basically with all the academic portions on the right-hand um, uh, portion of the plan around the courtyard, and the public areas of assembly and events are on the left-hand portion um, around the student commons. So that's how we, we mentioned the student commons acts as the lobby to both the auditorium and the gymnasium, which is here on the uh, second floor. Uh, um, easily accessed from a main stair, that stair that the, the rendering was showing you from. And, and again, the shops and the classrooms wrap around three sides of the courtyard. They, again, are um, reflective of the education plan which asked for those classrooms to be in close proximity to the, um, the career tech shops. And, and also the shops are organized in clusters so that, for instance, the health services career areas are located together and the communication areas 
are, are located together. And on the first floor, the construction shops are together and the transportation shops are together. So that's really the opportunity that a, a, new, a new building offered, as opposed to trying to reconfigure this addition um, renovation project. In a new school, we could very closely um, react to the to the education plan. There is a third floor to the building um, on the front side, which is primarily classrooms and, and some support spaces, um, which um, again could be a freshman academy um, up there. They do have a slightly different um, uh, schedule that first semester they occupy the school. And so uh, the building um, reflects that and, and also is organized in a more compact fashion than the current uh, school is organized. Um, it's a, right now it's kind of a sprawling one and two story building. Uh, this makes a more compact footprint which actually is more efficient use of, of the site. So um, to total all that up uh, where we stand, once we developed these schematic plans, we shared them with two independent professional cost estimators to first of all develop the construction cost uh, for the project in, in fairly good detail uh, at this point. And that's kind of the, the hard cost of bricks and mortar and so forth. Um, and we went through a, a value engineering um, process to um, bring that project in line with what we had uh, estimated originally back at the conceptual stage and what we think is reasonable and appropriate um, for what the school deserves, but we're also you know, understanding that we want to be as economical as possible here. And so the, the um, uh, value engineering was factored into that um, construction cost to bring it down, and the number's not quite there, 230 um, million or so. And then, as we say, that, that's the hard cost, but there are things like fees and furniture and equipment and contingencies that need to be factored in to figure the total project cost, um, which is really a turnkey cost. It, it includes, as I say, furniture and equipment so that you can move in on day one and all of the, the services necessary, the, the moving, the, the design, the management, and, and so forth, brings it to $283 million. Um, and again, that, that's the, the budget that would be submitted to the state as part of this um, schematic design uh, submission, which ultimately becomes kind of the contract between the district and the state and becomes the upper limit to, to the project. The, the, the MSBA, the School Building Authority's grant will is based on that number and, and will not change. Um, even if, if costs go up in the marketplace or if costs go down, um, they, they, they do look at that. But if, if costs were to go up um, down the line, the MSBA grant remains uh, the, the same. And so we work very hard to keep that project limit throughout the entire project. Um, we have, you know, a value engineering process at each step of the way when we do cost estimates um, <coughs> later on to, to keep that um, and, and keep the district share of that obviously constant. So we have with us tonight um, uh, a bonding um, council um, expert here can explain how the district share is paid for and financed. <coughs> Get the best part. Do you want to? Uh, I can advance the slide. Okay, that'd be great. Well, good evening. Uh, my name is Lynn Foster Welsh. I work for Unibank Fiscal Advisory Services. I recognize some of you guys in the back, some of my clients. Um, 
but uh, Unibank Fiscal Advisory, for, I'll just give a very brief of who we are. We're actually the largest independent municipal advisor in New England. Uh, we service over 341 cities, towns, dist school districts, and special districts. We're located uh, in Northbridge, Massachusetts. We have extensive knowledge and experience with financing school projects. Uh, vocational school projects um, lately have been and we, the financing for the beautiful school in uh, Lincoln, the Minuteman Vocational School. Uh, Bristol Plymouth, as you um, may have heard in the paper, their $300 million school that has been approved and is now in the process of being built. Uh, Assabet Valley, Old Colony, uh, Greater Fall River, just to name a few. Um, we also provide the advisory services to some of the member towns that are included in the district. Uh, myself, I have over 35 years experience in financial advisory. Um, a lot of the fin school financings that our firm has done, I have been a part of those financing. So I am with the district um, to provide, obviously, the most important thing, the f advice on the structure, timing, um, of either short-term notes and permanent financing um, into, the, into the bond market. So on the top, top level here on the school construction financing, just a couple of nuances in general about um, financing schools uh, funded by the MSBA grant program. They're usually for 30 years, you can't exceed 30 years uh, per the statute. The statute is 70B, and that's the MSBA grant-funded statute for school projects. Uh, the amortization of bonds will either do level principal or level debt. Uh, chances are we'll be doing, right now, a 30-year uh, level debt program. Um, meaning that the principal and interest as throughout the life of the bonds will stay fairly constant, okay? And that's a way that the towns can manage the debt service um, that they're assessed. And also, it's a constant, if you will, for the taxpayers on their impact. Um, it's a little fluid because assessed valuation school enrollments change, but over years, there's not a huge fluctuation in that. Uh, the other nuance of bonds is, uh, and the bond issuance is bond premiums. So we're talking about uh, a district share of approximately 200 million. And I would envision that we're not going to issue 200 million all at once. It's, we're going to look at the cash flows, obviously the market um, environment that we're in, and, um, but bond premiums. Underwriters who buy municipal bonds offer a premium on the day of the sale. Okay, and the premium basically is a, ca it is a cash up front it would be to the district. And the state law says any premium that you receive after you pay the cost of issuance shall be applied to reduce the par amount of the bonds. So any issuance that we do, more than likely, there'll be a premium from the underwriter. So the day of that sale, we'll be able to reduce the bond size and therefore reduce the, the debt service impact. Um, in the process, top level is obviously we'll be reviewing the cash flow, constant communication with the district uh, to see what is the best advantage to the district in the market, whether we issue short-term notes, which are called bond anticipation notes, or whether or when, or when, and when we go into the bond market. <coughs> and again, um, 
I think if, if you haven't turned the TV on lately, uh, market conditions, if you don't know, are quite volatile. Um, with the Fed raising rates as much as they have in the last uh, two years, has really kind of turned the issuance of bonds or notes kind of in a 180, if you will, because we're in an inverted yield curve where short-term paper is more expensive than going out for a 30-year bond. Um, just to give you an example of that, um, I, I sold an issue, a uh, short-term issue, that's uh, up to one year, and the net interest rate on a one-year paper was almost 5%. The town of Concord went out roughly the same time on a 30-year bond, and their net interest cost, or average cost, to borrow was a 334. So it, that's the market that we're in now. Um, so we can go to the next. Go to the next. So before I show, we, we've um, we've discussed the 200 million here. I put together on my next slide that comes after this um, the impact to the member towns based on these assumptions. Okay, um, that we will likelihood have a multiple issuance. Um, of bonds until we permanently finance the project. Um, we won't issue the final bond for the district until the MSBA final audit is completed. Um, so, that, so that way we know exactly what the district share is. We certainly don't want to borrow any money that will be grant funded by the MSBA. My analysis is based on the member towns 2023 assessed valuations. Obviously, that's the latest valuations that we have to work with. Um, in those valuation and in the impact, I have taken into consideration some of the member towns do have split tax rates. So this is just the residential impact that you're going to see. And in my crystal ball, I used an estimate of a 4.5%, um, which is conservative right now, I, again, I don't know if anybody can tell me here or anywhere whether rates are going to go up or down by the time we get into bond financing, um, but I certainly wanted to be a little bit more conservative in my, in my estimate and my coupon rate. I'm not sure you can see this, and I know Dan, the town, I've just lost the back half, and I see the, <laughs> my, um, this slide here, I know it's hard to see, but Dan does have a breakout, uh, even more detailed. Um, I used, as for quick analysis, um, the impact of a homeowner on a 100,000 value of home. Obviously, that's an easy multiplier for somebody to, to plug those numbers in. Um, and Dan, I don't know what, you know. Could you just read them down, like the town and then oh, on $100,000, you know, like. Okay, like so. Couple, just give a couple of examples. All right, I'll give you a couple of examples. I'll use, uh, all right, Frank, so for Franklin, all right, and again, this is a very fluid, these are very fluid numbers. It's not guaranteed, as, as I said to the uh, district, this is, you know, if it was a dark board, we're not right in the middle, but we are on the board. Um, and again, as I, as I told you, there's a lot of variables that go into these numbers, but this is what we're working with today with the best knowledge that we have. Um, so Franklin, for instance, Franklin would be looking at 
$28.77 per 100,000 home value. If you want to do the multiplication on that, uh, a year. Okay. Um, Medway, you know Medway's here. Um, oh, you probably don't want to know yours. Um, uh, thirty-six, about thirty-six dollars per thousand, hundred thousand. So, so the more important number. What is the what is the bottom line number for the town? Not by household, but for the town. What is our number? Is it a million dollars? Is it a million? I, I believe Dan. I believe Dan has that sheet for you. Right, okay. You. Uh, uh, North, North Alabama, uh, I don't see Mike, but uh, he's about fifty-six eighty-six per hundred thousand, just based on based on that uh, the analysis. It's a, it's kids. pardon me. Thirteen-year-old kids, fifty dollars per hundred thousand. No, I'm talking. This is an average. This is a per student. This is thirteen years of age. That's a lot of money for a kid who's on that or wants to build a high school too. It, it's a, it's oh, two, it's two hundred. Yeah, I um, <laughs> it's the it's it's the numbers, and I like I said, I'm gonna try to explain the interest rates are change. They are subject to change enrollments, the assessed valuations. I mean, we don't see wide swings usually year to year on these numbers. So I'm working with what I have now, uh, the assumption of the rate environment, and. You know, as again, it's a fluid process. It's cat. It's going to depend on cash flow uh, and some other var various considerations. Which, um, if you don't want me to read any more of these, we can just go to the uh, <laughs> to the next slide, which is um, somewhat busy, uh, and I'm not going to go through the whole thing. Um, Dora Whittier was afraid that I was going to go through each one of those and um, they were going to fall asleep. But I do want to, part of the considerations, and I think this is good for my town officials who are here tonight too, is when we do look at that cash flow, again with all the other variables that we were talking about, um, there is arbitrage considerations. And in the market that we're in today, we are in a very positive arbitrage, which means that you can go out the bond market and borrow for a lower bond yield and then turn that around and invest those unexpended proceeds from the bond into a higher um, investment until those invoices need to be paid. That's not such a bad thing, but the IRS tells you that since we've given you the luxury of uh, being a tax-exempt entity and you get the um, benefit of tax-exempt rates, that you can't go out and really burn and earn money off of that. Unless, um, they'll allow you to do it, but you have to spend the proceeds in an allotted, specified time by the IRS. Um, so that is just this box here, um, which gives you your four tranches that you have to meet. And the first one is bond proceeds have to be expended, that borrowed proceeds, 10% of those proceeds have to be expended within six months. The, the district will have to keep good record keeping on that because if you don't hit the first, um, the first tranche there, the 10%, you have to report it to the IRS that you basically, here it is, I borrowed at this and I've invested at this, I've made some money off of this project. Um, you just have to report it. But what happens is once you knock on the IRS's door and they open it and let you in, 
they're going to come back out and say, well, we just want to come in and see if you've actually done your calculations right. So we try to advise and look at the cash flow to meet those considerations. Again, just a, a quick down and dirty of one, some of the variables that we have to think about. And then the rest of this messy stuff is all the stuff that the district has to consider and all the steps they have to go through to put their either notes or bonds in the market. Don't shoot the messenger. <laughs> so, but that's, um, I'll ask any questions that any of uh, Medway. Two options of the bond. Yes. Paying the bond off. I call it a straight line where every year it's a million dollars, million dollars, million dollars, or it's a million five, million four, million three. Which, which option are you going with? Uh, level debt service. So you're going to see uh, principal and interest. As the principal, in a level debt service, you'll have a smaller uh, principal payment, but the interest will be higher. Okay, and it just goes down the line like that. So it's consistent debt service. So for 30 years, it's going to be a level, level, level. Straight across. Yep, yep, straight across. Uh, this is all very new to me. Um, I had kind of probably misunderstood that at some point, all of a sudden we do the 280 million or the 200 million and then that's when it starts hitting the town. It sounds like what you're saying is one year we might get a little bit of charge to the towns, a little bit of capital assessment, next year a little bit more, next year a little bit more, is that, so it's more that way, it's that kind of thing? I envision for the, for the amount, that the, for the term of this project, <coughs> keeping all those variables in mind, that we will have uh, multiple issuances of bonds, maybe two or three. Um, we definitely will have to hold out uh, uh, some part of the project until the MSBA audit is complete. So we absolutely will know what the district share is for that final issuance. Um, but you know, as we talked about today, we're in this market where two years ago, if you were building, you know, in this, you know, in, in this environment, building a school construction, the cost of funds were close to zero, and so people were just issuing short-term notes. You know, because the interest, it, that it was so minimal. It was basically free money. We are totally on the opposite side of that bond, that scenario now. As I said before, it's almost more advantageous to hit the bond market first. And, but again, we don't have, we don't have a set plan in place. It, it's going to be, you know, you're going to see that cash flow, see what makes sense, see where we are in the market. Obviously, uh, keeping in mind the timing of the impact on the, on the member communities as well. Um, so there's a lot of things to consider and talk about. Sir? Um, when does the bond issuance start and when do towns start being obligated to pay? Again, we have not determined that yet. It's, it's maybe 26 or 20, fiscal 26 or 27. But could, then the bond is over by 20, 56, 20, 50, Th Yeah, third. Thank you. Thank Is you. that, did I yes. misspeak? Okay, okay. So if the town re-evaluates, I'm going to and they go up, does that mean my taxes be more into this? If, if you are- Or the building set level will now go up. I don't understand the question. Let's well, say my house is worth 400 dollars Yep. They re-evaluate, they say, hey, your house is worth five. Yep. So like mine went from a certain amount yep. of here. Yep. It does go up. Yeah. Will we have to keep paying more? Yeah. Or we're well, not going to the. No. 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 No.
No, the bond issue itself will be um, fixed. When it's issued, it's issued. The only time it will change is because um, we'll put an eight-year call provision on the bond. So um, year nine and out, if, if the market is even bet is better, then we look at that and see if it makes sense to refund the refund the debt. Hi. Hi. Quick question. Why are we going level debt, not level principal? Because that's one of the working finance for YMCA. Yeah, the question I have is well, that level that level principal lowers your payments over the term so dramatically. That's the advantage a town has that nobody else has. Why are we taking advantage of that? For a lower part, doing it level principal? I'm sorry, level, yeah, level principal would reduce your payments because principal is the same. And your interest. And interest goes down. Right. Yeah, you'd be paying actually less interest because you'd be, you're right. You Is said, that the direction we're going? We haven't decided, but here, that's a more of a political decision well, because, well, the thing being is because, here's some argument. I'm not saying which way to go. It's obviously the district's decision. We'll give them the information on both sides. If we issue level principle, okay, you're going to have a tax impact up front that's really fully loaded. On, on millions of dollars of bonds. So you're gonna have basically the people that in the first five years are gonna get really hit hard on, on the tax rate because the debt service is gonna be higher. May I just say that there's nothing in this about a tax increase and that's the sad thing about this. You're gonna give us a bill for 800,000, two million and ask the towns to fund it. The idea is that there is no tax increase associated with this unless we as a town do right, this. Right, right. If, if I have 300 voters who love this come out and vote, yes, we have to find a way to pay for it. You haven't helped us pay for this at all. So all these numbers about you know cost per thousand and all that, absolute disingenuous number. There is nothing connected with this that raises this tax in the town. You're just going to send me a bill, and I have to pay it. And if my voters, who I seriously doubt are going to vote for a tax increase, don't vote for it, I'm cutting. I'm cutting services for education, yeah, council on aging, police, fire, everything else. So if this was tied to a normal debt issue structure, I'd have no issue with it. But the way this is being handled, really, pulling one over on the voters. Oh, We're asking you one beautiful $2 million school, and we'll figure out how to pay for it later. That's my problem with the whole process. I don't think, uh, excuse me, I don't think we're, I'm, I'm misleading uh, on this. Well, if it overrides passes, are you not misleading? I'm not, and that's, well, you know, if I'm sitting in, like I said, if I'm sitting in an audience, I've got to assume that most of the member towns, at least the ones I work with, I think, would go and seek a debt exclusion, okay? So I'm speaking, maybe I should make that more clear, about, yes, the towns have to now go out and try to finance this. If this passes, it's on you, understood completely. You have to find a way, you have to now go to your voters and sell it in your community for a debt exclusion with the same argument that you're making now, cuts in services, look at, but I'm speaking to somebody watching this on TV, no matter what town, and I'm saying, if, if you don't do the debt exclusion, that's the impact that it will have additionally on your taxes. Yeah. I don't think that's misleading. 
I think uh, I'm just I, saying I, I every other override we've done in our town, a library. Yeah, understood. Yeah. A DPW, um, an elementary school. I love something out. But each one of those overrides in the last 11 years, a library, mm -hmm. all of those items had cost associated with them to the voters. This has a cost to the town. So none of my voters are voting to increase their taxes when they vote on this. And that's why I don't can think we're going to have a big turnout. Can I, that's let, supposed to be eight hours of voting time. I don't believe we're going to have a fair turnout. Let me try to clarify a few things and maybe introduce myself, and I think I can. Okay. Uh, so, first of all, uh, my name's Charlie, and I come in peace. I'm not from the IRS. Uh, and my last name is Lyons, and I'm, I'm actually working with uh, Duran Whittier on this project. And I've actually worked for superintendents and school committees around the state for the last couple of years on some of the bigger vocational technical projects. I work directly with the Bristol Plymouth School Superintendent School Committee. We're still working on the Northeast Location Technical Project, which cost about 317 million. And I uh, I work closely with the superintendent at, uh, at Diamond Region and made numerous presentations to towns and to the mayor of Fall River and others. And I met with all the mayors of the Northeast District. And so I completely understand the frustration in your question. And I'll tell you what I understand. I was a selectman in the town of Arlington for 24 years. And uh, before that, I chaired the school committee and we renovated Arlington High School back in 1977 when I was 18. The total cost was $6.7 million. And they just completed their latest renovation for $287 million. These costs are high. And I don't think anybody's trying to, trying to minimize the impact. At least I'm not going to. And so what I'd like to do is just to explain the situation that the Tri-County School Committee and the superintendent inherited. Uh, when Dr. McGuire got this job, the, the school committee, uh, through her and, and, and through Dan, the, the business manager, they said, we got a broken school. We need to fix it. And most of the location technical schools built 55 and 60 years ago are broken. And so they invited the Mass School Building Authority. They said, could you come in and tell us if we qualify for your program? And lo and behold, Mass School Building Authority, they probably had about 60 applications from throughout the state. They came here, and they were one of 13 schools that said, you know what? There are health and safety issues. This school needs to be renovated. But in order for us to give you funding, we have certain rules. First of all, the school you rebuild has to last for 50 years. And secondly, you have to look at different options. And one of the options was renovation, or renovation addition. The third option was new. And through an intensive uh, process in hiring expert consultants, they finally came up with the conclusion the best benefit for the children and the taxpayers of this district is to build a new school. We've got to figure out how to pay for it. Now, this school district is unique. Well, let me explain to you why it's unique. Its regional agreement specifies that once a district figures out what it's going to cost to rebuild or remodel or fix up, that issue has to go to the voters first. The voters decide. And it's, uh, it's called chapter, it's the, the chapter verse in the Mass General Laws is chapter 71, uh, section 16N. And in the regional school agreement, it specifies the, decision will, the decisions about whether to fix the school or not 
will be determined by the votes. Uh, and so, and very specifically in the law, it specifies how the process of the election will work. And so, uh, in this case, the district determines the date, and we've had a few meetings with town clerks, all the town clerks, I've attended both of them, and the best date to select for the, the vote on this, it has to be done within 120 days of the Mass School Building Authority approving the scope and budget for this project, which is planned for late this summer. And we met with the town clerks on two occasions, and they're all terrific, by the way. And uh, fundamentally, they said, we don't want to have an election in 2024. We got a couple coming up that might not be nuts. So 2023, which is within the 120-day period, was selected. And we looked at a few Tuesdays in October. In the best two Tuesdays, uh, was one was October 24th. And the second one was, was October uh, 31st, which I think is uh, uh, Halloween or something, right? And so uh, that date was selected and in consultation with them because they're really the true leaders of the democratic process in the communities. Uh, the school committee here reserves the right to select under that law whether the election has to go between, it has to be the same times in the entire district in every community and the times have to be between four and eight hours. And for a private democracy, the town clerk said, well, we think the 24th is the best day, but we think it should be eight hours, because it's an important issue for the voters in this district. And so the hours of 12 to eight were selected. The law also specifies that the number of polls to be selected will be determined in consultation with the communities. And we've asked the town clerks to talk to you folks, to select them, uh, the, the town administrators, but primarily the elected leaders, the executive leaders in the community. Now, on the Northeast Project, and I work with five cities and six communities, uh, the city of Revere had one poll. The city of Chelsea, which sends 20% of the students to Northeast, had one poll open. Matter of fact, most of the communities have one polling location open, but that's up to the communities. And the law also specifies that the cost of running that election must be borne by the regional school district. And so we took a look at what it costs to run the election at Bristol Plymouth, and we took a look at what it costs to run the election at, uh, at Northeast Location and Technical. We even looked at the Minutemen uh, cost of running the election. Minutemen did the same thing. They had to have a voter approved uh, approval on the, on the project. Uh, the, uh, the vote passed with 85% of the vote in the Northeast Vocational Technical District. It passed with about 57% of the voters, so 56% in the Bristol Plymouth District. In the Diamond District, which is Fall River, Swansea, Seacomb, I met with all the town administrators. Matter of fact, I know a few of you town administrators who are here. From, you know, I spent 21 years on the board of directors of the National Municipal Association because I was past president of the Selectments Association back in 2000. So I understand exactly what the concerns are. I've led that exclusion, like you've mentioned, in, in, in overrides and that sort of thing when I was an owl. But here's the way the process works here. The voters are supreme. 
They decide, and, and the vote that will be put before the voters will have, as, as Kyle mentioned, this is the project cost that has fundamentally been approved by MSBA. And, and then in the vote, it will show what the MSBA grant will be. So let's assume it's 300 million, and let's assume for the sake of discussion that the grant's 100 million. Then the voters will, will vote yes or no, and the local cost will be 200 million. And, and, and as Lynn indicated, <coughs> once that's approved on October 23rd, uh, then the tough works begin. And, and, and the tough work, and, and, I, and I appreciate this uh, from the managers and others, well, how are we going to pay for this over time? Now, here's what happened in the Minuteman District. In the Minuteman District, 75% of the communities said we don't need a debt exclusion for our share. They did have a debt exclusion. The Arlington Selectman put a debt exclusion on the ballot uh, with their own high school, who was voted the same day. And 70% of the voters voted for both projects. Matter of fact, they did three elementary additions the same day. But seven of the nine communities in the Minuteman District decided they had enough money and either stabilization or free cash or they had an economic development plan. And I know there are economic development plans happening in places like North Alabama and others, where they guesstimated, well, we're not going to have to pay a bill on this project until the debt is due. Now, whether you do what we call short-term point anticipatory notes to start funding the first part of the project costs and architects and, and what have you, and then fold it into a long-term bond issue at some other point, like Lynn mentioned, uh, that's to be determined individually by each community. But in the, uh, in the Northeast District, some of the communities might do a, uh, you know, a, 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 a debt exclusion for their portion of the cost. And, and uh, I know the city of Chelsea's annual new growth revenue, just for the sake of discussion, for the last three years has been going up a million seven a year. So every community is different. And I think what, I think Lynn will pr permit me for saying this, and Dan will permit me for saying this, whether you do level principal or, or level debt is really dependent upon, at that point in time, a mature discussion about the market. The only issue before the voters is do you prove that a tired, broken, vocational technical school should be rebuilt, do you support this project, and uh, we're going to have to work collectively with you and try to figure out how this thing can be financed. But that's up to each individual community. And there are some communities like they have in, in the Minuteman District, there are only three communities that think had debt exclusions on their portion of the cost. Uh, now, how is the cost determined? The cost is determined by the regional school district. Uh, chart, the chart. And in this regional school district, the debt is assigned on a yearly basis when the, when the payment is due. So fundamentally, the payment, you're not going to have a payment due on this project until probably fiscal 27, OK? And then once the, and it's going to depend upon you know, the construction schedule. 
if, if, if the private's going to cost 300 million, let's say, and the state's going to pay for 100 million of it, you're going to have to borrow 200 million, but you're not going to spend 200 million over the next three years. The major construction portion of the season will begin a few years from now, but the debt will be due, and it's based upon fundamentally your percentage of enrollment, assuming every community has at least five students in the district. There's one community that doesn't send five students to the district. For, for capital costs, the regional agreement clearly stipulates that any capital cost will assume a minimum of five students you know, at the school. That fundamentally buys the seats at the school for a sure one, so that if in three years from now they send five kids, they, then they're insured those seats, so to speak. So I don't think anybody here wants to rush the judgment, but the judgment is determined by the voters. The mathematical uh, computation in terms of uh, what's the share is determined by the regional agreement. But is there a need? Absolutely. Absolutely a need. Uh, you know, Cape Cod Tech was built at, uh, you know, for, for uh, 600 students, the cost came in. They got a lot less from NSDA as percentage of budget cost because they were in their towns considered a little wealthy. Uh, Northeast, uh, because the three cities of, of Malden, Revere, and Chelsea pay for 50% of the debt service, then their support from NSDA is based upon the, 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 uh, the wealth of the community. It's judged by, it, according to the NSDA formula, it's actually judged based upon, you know, uh, value of the property as well as per capita income in the community. And so, we know what it is now, we don't know what it's going to be three or four years from now. Let me give you an example. The superintendent testified on a school board member the other day, and I think one of down there, a few of the town managers testified before the state uh, educational legislative committee, both House and Senate. And they said, we need more money to bring down the local share of this project cost on our towns. Dr. McGuire led that effort. The superintendents from all over the state. Vocational technical superintendents. And, uh, and your school board members here all support that effort. I actually uh, wrote part of the legislation uh, that, uh, that, that uh, folks testified about. And uh, one of the concepts we developed last year, we sent to, to some legislators, <coughs> was to, if the communities all vote for this, and we hope you do, because it's needed, is to empower your town meetings without a debt exclusion for regional school debt service costs to allow those town meetings, empower them to allow them to uh, increase the levy limit to pay for that portion of the cost. Now, I don't know what the legislature will do with, with all these things, but I want you to know two things. We understand the delicacy of the situation and the fiscal impact that we'll have on the communities. And we will do everything we can to work with you to minimize that. And I know Dan, the business manager here, will work with Lynn. And Lynn, by the way, has got great experience all over the Commonwealth. As a matter of fact, Unibank is the financial advisor for many of the communities. There's no reason why Dan can't meet with the chief financial officers in Lynn to figure out what's the best borrowing strategy. That can happen. But the issue for the voters on October 
2023. Do you support this project? And I can tell you, only because my uncle Connie Lyons turned 100 years old last week, and he's living in North Alabama, and most of his grandkids went to the school. And based upon that cookout, they're excited about supporting a new tri-county school district to resemble what the citizens in the Northeast District, the Bristol Plymouth District, the Cape Cod District, the Minuteman District, and many others have benefited from. So, I don't think anybody wants to rush the judgment here tonight. I simply want to let you know that the date of the election is October 24. Your support is critically needed, and uh, and uh, the idea of how this will be, you know, financed over time, I think, is yet to be determined. I hope that answers some of your quick concerns and some of your questions. Yeah. Uh, and uh, thank you very much for your time. Thank you. Thank you, Charles. Hey, you good? Yeah, I might need a real, a real, a real, yeah. Well, that's the ADA stuff that doesn't exist in this current building. So, uh, essentially, as Charlie just pointed out, uh, we we are on the books right now with the the clerks from the member sending communities for the twenty fourth, and then um, at that point in time, should it uh, be a positive vote, we would then progress. And that is how the project would progress into the next phases. So with that, I think uh, that is the conclusion of our presentation. We really appreciate you coming out. Yeah, and, there, and yeah. we welcome some questions. All right, before we do the questions, I just want to follow up on the legislation that Charlie had talked about that we've been working with the towns over the last couple of years um, and that we've filed with the, um, with the, with the Commonwealth. The um, representative from North Attleboro, Adam Scanlon, and also Senator Feeney, also from the Attleboro, uh, along with Senator Moran from Lawrence, filed legislation on behalf of the mass, uh, the, the vocational schools, particularly the ones that are in the pipeline with MSBA right now, uh, to try to increase the reimbursement from the MSBA. Um, it's currently at committee. We testified on Monday, was it Monday? The whole week's a blur. Uh, we testified on Monday at the State House. Um, Andy Rodenheiser from Rodenheiser Plumbing was with us, uh, Tracy from Medway, and myself. And uh, we, we hope to get the reimbursement up. Uh, that's, that's our goal. Um, we will let the town administrators know what, what's going on with it. And if we can um, hopefully, once it gets through that hurdle, it then goes back to the, um, the House of Representatives again. So we'll let you know if we need more letters written. Uh, but we do hope to get that uh, because it is important for all of our communities. I don't so. think it's too late right now. So, yeah, it's, yeah, I'm sorry, go ahead, Sharon. Um, so this legislation that's in the, is going through the works, I mean, the MSBA is going to make their determination on how much money they're going to give us at the end of the summer. What if the legislation doesn't pass until after they've already said what they're going to give us? Is that going to be able to change the number at all? Yeah, so it, it, it definitely, this, what they'll give us right now is what, based on what their funding, mechanism, funding mechanism is right now. Um, but the, the hope and the point with the legislation is for them to go back in and readdress how they're, they're funding our projects. So the MSBA program itself reimburses schools based on a template that they have. And the template that they have is for comprehensive schools. They don't have a program that reimburses for vocational schools, even though they cost significantly more to build. 
So our legislation is asking to take the VoTech model into consideration and reimburse. But yes, they would, we're asking them to adjust it for us. Yeah, that's the point of the whole legislation. Yeah. Hi. Yes. I, I don't think anybody here is really against VoTech. I'm a supporter of VoTech. I'm, I'm, I'm a supporter of Tri-County. That's not the issue that I think most of us are dealing with. Most of us are dealing with how do we really fund it in our community. Right. Well, I have a series of questions I'd like to ask you if you just bear with me while I get my questions out. Um, did I miss the fact that what the reimbursement is from MSBA? If I do the calculations, it looks like it's somewhere around 28% now. So it's, it's, still, it's the 52.8% of what's called eligible costs. And that's part of what the problem is, is what they cap those eligible costs at cost more here. So at the end of it, it went, with the cap, it only ends up being about you know, the 28 or 26. Right. So the 283 you're asking us to fund is including what MSBA is. Yes. Mm -hmm. Yes. And, and the other, you know, Madam, when we're talking about how we're funding this, whether we're going to fund it, there's two ways we can fund it bond-wise. And you showed us the document up there that showed that was a straight line, that was a straight line bond. Like in the town of Medway, on a straight line yeah, bond, based upon the numbers you showed us here, our participation in a straight line will be about a million one for the next 30 years. A million one for the next 30 years. And I think those are the numbers you showed us there. Correct. That's $36. You have made the decision which way you're going. That's what I heard. I heard you said we're going that way, then I heard somebody else say we haven't made the decision. If you go the other way, I want to make people understand that that $36 for the town of Medway will probably jump to somewhere around $48 to $50, okay? Up, up front, it will be very high, that impact, correct. That's the point you are absolutely that, correct. That number 36 isn't something that somebody should come back and say. Until they decide how they're going to bond this, we don't really know what the number's going to be. When will you be making that decision? Because one of the things that I'm wrestling with and we're all wrestling with, we need to start to talk to our community mm -hmm. about the cost of this. When we go back and we do our analysis, do we do our analysis based upon $283,000 and which rate do we use? Because mm -hmm. one rate Understood. is a million one and the other rate, the other bonding rate is a million five. Correct. It it Understood. We need to talk to the community about that. How long will it be before you make that decision? Do you want to speak? I mean, it's. I mean, we're still looking at cash flow now. This project, you know, has to be bid out, right? We don't know what the construction cost is going to come in. Probably not lower, right? Not in the environment that we've been in. We certainly haven't seen that. Um, but we haven't even. Dis I mean, we haven't even discussed well, what the cash flow. We can't go back to the community and stop the. We'll have to give it to examples. Depending upon which way you decide to want. Well, I think I, I think you know here for this purposes here for the thing. I think you could you could run a million schedules and hypotheticals right. here tonight and just confuse the heck out of people. So we took an assumption, and we said thirty year typically typically thirty years right obviously for this amount of money on on a level debt service typically done for this structure of financing. Estimated a debt service rate, you know, that's obviously very volatile. We put some other assumptions into this as far as how much money you're going to need, how, you know, how long with the spending considerations. So we picked the number, 200 million. Let's 
give people something. I don't think it's far out of the realm, but I know for my towns, you need to budget stuff and you know you to when to, to prepare for that. Yep. Yep. It's going to cost you yep. around $100,000 house. Right? $100,000 evaluation. That's what we're looking for. We just, that, we just did that. If you haven't made the final decision, you're going to straight line it at $36. That's what I'm asking for. Because I'm not going to go out and tell my residents. I would say most likely my discussions with the district is we're looking at 30 years on a level debt basis. So I ask a question Will you have that decision made by the time of the vote, or is that decision going to be made after the vote passes? It probably be made after the vote passes. <laughs> it, has to, it has to be after the vote. Because they can't borrow a penny. No, you can make a decision. We can make an estimate based on a cash flow. It's just, it's just that we're working with a very preliminary cash flow right now as far as the timing of that, when those invoices are going to hit, when that money's going to be out the door. So we I need to fine tune that. million dollars in my town's building since I've been on the permanent building committee. We always knew when we went to the vote mm -hmm. what it was going to cost the voter. Always, every single time. So this is well, they're going to know what the, it, what the cost is going to be on October 24th. But are we going to lay out you know, the, the absolute financing plan at that time? Probably not. That comes to an assumption. 30 yeah. years, 4 and a quarter percent, straight yeah. line or straight principal, that's, what that's a cost. Yeah. Right. And, that's that, what we did. and we just need to know that that's not going to shift a million or half million dollars for you or 300, 400 for me based on that. So that seems like a decision that can be made well ahead of time and just look with it. You know, that, you don't have to yes. wait for this to pass. And, and I think that's pretty much the decision right now. 30 year, a level debt. No. Now that's pretty much a decision. Yeah. This could be a decision that yeah. can be made. And it needs to be made before October 20th. Then it will be, yeah. We'll, we'll have a decision in place as what it's going to, the amortization is going to look like. I mean, by October 20th. I know. We, we, looked, we looked at that number of 283. Where are we in the design? Are we 30%, 40%, 50%, 60%? Where are we? So we're schematic design. Schematic design. In perfect state MSBA process, this is a prescribed step, as I showed you on the second slide, that we have to pin down the number on a scope of the project that is educationally based, and that's where we stand today. So this is the number, the 283, that we showed you as the project budget, which you're correct. Approximately $80,080 million is coming from the state. It's an assumption, but we're, we're living in you know some range. And so, so we're at the schematic design level, yes, for a fixed number. I agree. Yeah. I'm going to my town and talk about a $283 million project of which we're going to be looking at roughly $200 million. And fine. What happens when the bids come in? Everything, everything at the end, all added up, comes to three and what? Okay, well, you've got a, you've got a, then we don't have a, yeah, and we don't have a project uh, unless the voters then you don't know the final you don't know the final number until after we voted for the two hundred and eighty-three million dollar project. Yep, yeah, that's all they've authorized. We've authorized two eighty three. You didn't authorize three hundred. Now it comes into three twenty. You'd have to go back yeah, to the voters. We would have to. No, this is the this is the number that we have to live within, or we go we have to go back out for a vote. We would have to go yeah. back out for yeah. votes. So this is this is this is the this is the limit. We can't. Yeah. We can we can come under it, which we yeah. hope we're coming under it. 
But if we if if this if we bid it all out, like we just have to have the schools, and all of a sudden it's fifty million over what you thought, we would have to go back out for a loan. We would have to go back that's out for a yeah. Can you tell me of the two eight three? I know you have furnishings and all the miscellaneous whiteboards and everything else built in. How much construction contingency is built into that number? So we have four percent on the owner side. So the so outside of the construction contract, if you will, and the construction contract um, is coming in at two hundred two hundred and thirty-three million dollars. Outside of that two hundred and thirty-three, we have four percent, which uh, off the top of my head I want to say is roughly um, eight 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 or nine million. Not is nine million. I'm sorry, I don't have all the numbers on the top of my head, but. Um, inside of the construction number, we have escalation because we're not bidding this job for another 18 months or longer. We have a construction contingency on the contractor side. How much is that? You know, percent-wise, percent it's two hundred. It's two and a half percent. I don't know the number off the top of my head. And escalation, I believe we are carrying 11 percent, and then we have design contingency. Uh, within that 233 of 7%. So if you add all those together, you know, we're, we're somewhere, I don't know, 18, 19%. Just my simple last question is, as enrollments change year over year, and every based upon percentage. So we have cost. So our percentage goes from 9% up to 10%. Um, our increase would go up, and somebody's increase would probably go down on the enrollment. Like, yes. like it does now. So every year it's going to change with the understand. the that's too. I just want to make sure everyone's still. Yes. Yeah. Thank you for the answer. I appreciate it. Thank you. My observation is if it would have been nice to have gone higher on the number, saying 58 instead of 37 for specific town, because we there is such uncertainty. It's kind of like when I was in the window treatment business and somebody said to me, when will I have my window treatment? And I'd say, 68 weeks. And they go, 68 weeks? I said, well, you'd much rather me tell you in 68 weeks and me come in and say, it's only four weeks and you're gonna love me. But if I tell you it's four weeks and it's 68, you're gonna say, where the hell are my window treatments? Same thing with this. If you had presented it at a higher number, a more realistic, just as he said, it would be a, a million and a half instead of a million. I think there wouldn't be such, mm. what are you telling us? I don't, think, I don't think the realistic number, what you're saying is, uh, the gentleman here was speaking to the amortization, whether it's, it's a level debt or level principal. And as I said, we're most likely going to do a 30-year level debt, and I will offer that, you know, between now, I'd certainly have uh, discussions with the town managers um, and vet this through. I'd love to sit down and really talk to them about, you know, the different scenarios and flesh this out. But what we're projecting, I think, on the interest rate on that four and a quarter is a conservative rate. I could have lowballed it and gave you That's what the 30 year, then the numbers would have been a little less on the impact analysis. But, you know, again, like you said, I'd rather be a little over than, uh, than under. I, I agree, but that's what I'm saying on your numbers on the towns. 
in conversation. It just went that it could be $37 or it could be $58. We have to be able to tell the voters. Well, but I know, but it's got to be decided soon. Well, yeah. I have a very friendly question. Will this increase in enrollment at all? No. Okay. So the question is, does it increase enrollment? So the, the MSBA caps are really at 1,000 kids, which is what it is right now. Now, I'll talk just a little, because you're probably going to hear a little about the, um, the state is looking at reorganizing some, some vocational schools because some have waiting lists of 1,000 kids, and they're asking you know, other, other um, schools to, to open up you know, for them. Um, but, but we're not in that situation. So don't, don't get confused if you're reading the world that there's increasing seats. That's not us. Towns vote for this no. So the question is, do all towns have to vote for it? It's really confusing because it would seem that that would be the way that it works. I'm not saying that. I don't know if that's my place to say that. I, I have no problem saying that. They're houses and apartments. So it's not a family or a child. It's all of them together. And they come out for that email. Do you, you, you want to bring that up? What do you think? What do you think? What do you want? What do you want? Yeah. Look, how much years it held in Kendrick and Houston? What's the cost per student for a town? It varies by town. So some are $13,000 and some So I have two kids that went to BCC. When they coloring program offered, she didn't take it. And, they, and then they have uh, coloring, dental assisting, CNA. They're far less for two years. And they come with an associate's degree. So you're asking towns to spend a lot of money when they can go to BCC or they can go to any of those schools, uh, the one in Wells yeah, so has automotive. Yeah, the vocational schools as high schools are regional vocational schools that are that are. But we're asking thirteen year old kids to pick what they want to do for the rest of their lives. That's the nature center. of a vocational school. That's what's been happening. Well, no, thirty thousand students in the Commonwealth. They at the ten year mark, where the kids we have W twos for graduates that are still in the yeah, trade. there are there are follow up studies that are done that are done. Do you have students. them? I don't have to look at it right now, but, I, but that's one of the things. Because I'm not knocking vocational. I'm a licensed contractor. I run a collision repair center. I was certified to teach job I just see those people spend lots and lots of money. And I can't find a kid to save my life that can work in my garage. You know, Tri County got rid of the collision repair because there wasn't enough girl. We hold it into five of them. It's still it's still here. We have we have a collision repair teacher here. So let me let me clarify two points and I'm done. First of all, it's important to understand, it's a district-wide vote. So if it passes 501 votes to 500 votes, it passes. That's done, just so everybody understands. It's not based upon community by community. And that's exactly what happened both in the Bristol Plymouth District and exactly what happened in the Northeast District. Okay. The second point I want to make, in Karen's original plea, let me give you an example of why writing your legislators, how to get these costs down. Okay, hopefully, get inflation down and keep it down on, you know, so it doesn't have a major impact. Like, like, and, and as Lynn said, she's been very conservative. She didn't want to come in here with low ball assumptions in terms of interest. 
But the second thing is, write to legislators and ask them to support more funding for expensive construction costs in vocational technical schools. Let me give you two examples of how MSBA treats equipment in technology. They provide $1,200 per pupil to an elementary school for equipment and $1,200 per pupil to a vocational technical school for equipment and $1,200 in its formulas for technology for an elementary school and the same amount for technology for vocational technical schools. You don't have to be a rocket scientist to figure out that because there's more steel and there's more infrastructure in facilities like this that are training the future technicians and craftsmen for the next generation, that the buildings alone, in terms of wire, equipment, cement, cost more money. And so if we're trying to get the state to recognize that, so please communicate to your legislators. There's two ways we can keep this project down to our local taxpayers. The first way is for the state to put more funding into the MSBA for vocational technical schools. And that's what I know the superintendent and your colleagues are doing, and we'll continue to do that. And I think the important message you want to leave from here today is how the financing is going to work is you have to be determined because they first have to get authorization from the voters to actually consider the borrower. And that important decision is on October 24th, and we hope you can all support that. Thank you. Right, we have three. Okay, just do you have the cost per town, not by household, by in the aggregate? Yes, Dan has the sheet. He'll hand to this one. So they're going to hand that out tonight? Yeah, he has it up here. Oh, that was your question? Yep. Okay. Really? I thought you were going to. I thought you were going to. I think everybody in the room has to realize that it's going to cost you no matter what, because if all of a sudden they have to do the remodeling, to get ADA approval, to get security approval, to get all that, it's going to cost the towns one way or another. And maybe everybody should realize that. It's going to cost money, and the, the town administrators, the select people that are here, stuff like that, you're going to tell you about this, it's going to cost money. Because if you're going to spend yeah, so that's X, X amount of dollars. You're going to spend three hundred million dollars, and you're going to get hundred million, or you're going to spend two hundred million, and you're going to get nothing. So right. So that's kind of the problem. I don't think anyone's disputing the fact that money has to be spent. I think the fact is that each town, there are a lot of towns that need new schools in their own town, and the senior population is getting older and older in each town. But the fact is the senior population is getting older and older. Um, it's getting older and older. They're all on <coughs> I know in our town, our coalition on aging, Tuesdays and Thursdays, there's at least 50 seniors that come in to get food. We also have food pantry. So it's a, re it's a real concern for people. It's not that they're not pro Tri-County. I'm a graduate of Tri-County. I, I went to school and I got my institution's license here. I think it's a wonderful school. But we also have to, if everybody is worried about where the money's coming from because we have our own things to take care of,
compared within our own towns. Yeah. And when you've got 15 kids going to a school versus your own town school, it's just a big thing to solve. So that's, there are right now nine vocational, but there are only 28 regional vocational schools in the Commonwealth. And there are nine of them currently in the MSBA pipeline, and that impacts 119 communities. And of those 119 communities, you could, I would almost guarantee that at least 90% of them have something else going on. Correct. Whether it's a high school, an elementary school, a police station, fire station, right. council on aging. So, yes, so we, we know that. Um, we're not just saying, build the school, deal with it, right? We're trying the best that we can on the state and national level, I was down in Washington, D.C. In, in March to try to shake the trees there with the money that they're going to claw back from all of the uh, relief funding that people didn't spend to, to, to put it back to the schools in these areas to just build these regional schools and just take care of them. You know, I, and uh, people that have heard me speak before know that I live in Carver. Uh, our community supports tri um, Old Colony. Old Colony is also in the MSBA pipeline, but they're two years behind us. And if my math is the way that, you know, I think that, that it works, it's every two or three years, it goes up by $100 million. So my town is looking at a $400 million project with 500 kids. There are only 500 kids in that school. So it, it, look at that impact at my town of Carver, which is half the population of these towns, right? So I understand from a taxpayer standpoint what it looks like too. Uh, which is why we're trying to do what we, what we can. Mr. Blaine. Thank you. Uh, Karen, this is not going to come as a surprise. Karen, those who know me, I'm Michael White, the town manager. Anyway. We have a meeting with our town managers uh, there. We had uh, most of the communities represented back in February. And again, the message has been very simple. Um, our concern isn't the school. There was no one sitting for saying the world saying no buildings. There was some genuine concern. Uh, and I think that world is probably the most important about that impact. Uh, and it's interesting because Charlie made the point about talking to the legislators. We have. We've been talking about a number of different things. And one of the things that we did that was a takeaway from that meeting that we had, and we talked a little bit about this, is that we proposed, we put some language together and sent it to uh, one of the members of the delegation and said, can you please take this to the Hill? Uh, I'm not sure if it went to House Council, the Senate Council, or it went to, but said, you know something, section, chapter 71, section 16N was written nine years before Proposition 2 and So the procedure that was in effect when this building was built, when this place, uh, when this place was built, uh, there was no such thing as Prop 2 and There was no such thing as the levy limit. There was no such thing as how do we raise the taxes. It was essentially a discussion with the select boards at the time and then going to town meeting. Today, we have the levy limit. The problem is, is that we're capped at the levy limit. So, to those the folks on the school committee, it's as important to support that type of legislation, especially with so many vocational schools that are in the pipeline, to give the towns the ability to essentially have one vote. That's what we're at, essentially, we have come out with, is one vote. You ask the residents of the town, do you support a $283 million school, and do you agree to raise that property tax to be able to pay for the debt service for the life of the note. It is the exact same process that 351 cities and towns would do if they were building a school in their own backyard. The comments that I received back from, the, from some of the members of the delegation and their staff has been they're concerned about the uh, uh, constitutionality of it. 
because one town can't force another one to do what that exclusion. It's not a forcing issue. It's simply putting a tool in the toolbox for each of the member communities to be able to raise that limit with the debt exclusion at the same time the school is rolling. Because what will happen, I'm going to convince you that on October 24th, about four to 600 people show up to vote at the school. And most of the folks that will come will know about the school, will know about the needs, and will come and vote to support the school. That's probably the projection. The likelihood is on October 24th, the school's going to pass. The problem is going to be is that whether it's January 24th or May 24th or whenever it is, there's going to be 2,400 people that are going to show up to vote for that override, that debt exclusion. And then the problem is, it's not Tri-County's problem to try to sell them. Of the 11 communities in this district, I would be hard-pressed to think, other than maybe Sherman, that are going to have to go and try to do some type of debt exclusion. Maybe Medfield with a small enrollment. But the majority of us are going to have to do a debt exclusion or we're laying people on. There is no other So I guess that the response back to the, to the committee is we need to work together to support this. Because again, this is one of the first, and, and I get that some of the other places voted to support their schools. I would guess that some of those had MSBA reimbursement much higher than 28 or 30 percent. The impact is substantially different than the diamond uh, impact on a uh, on an MSBA reimbursement factor than it is here. Well, yes. So that being the case, we've got to work together because it's not just this one. And, and, it's, and I appreciate the, the time. This is a huge, huge worry for us. Well, huge worry. Right. We've been having this conversation. You, you and I have. And, and, and your town administrator, Mr. Borg, was, was with us on, um, on Monday when we testified, and he, he expressed on behalf of the town administrators in the uh, 11, 11 towns um, what, the, what the concern is uh, to, to, to the committee. So, um, and I'll tell you, I've been you know, involved in vocational education for, for really my whole life. Um, this is only my second year at Tri-County, but I was at Southeastern uh, for, for 23 years before here. Um, so it's not, this is not new to me. Um, but I've not heard the support for vocational schools on Capitol Hill like I heard this year, in my whole 23 years before. Uh, they're talking about lands for, and the need for uh, these schools. So hopefully we get somewhere, but we do have to work together to, to do it, you know, we do. We absolutely do. Thank you, Dr. Breyer. The legislation that is before the House right now that updates the VOTEC model, updates the funding model to include the VOTEC school model, uh, does that legislation also have a, a encourage to increase the overall MSBA funding allocation total, the total pocket? So even if you get a little better percentage, yeah. if we don't So we asked for two things. Well, we asked for like six things in the bill. But um, one of the things that we asked for initially was uh, $3 billion from the millionaire's tax to be allocated for relatively like a trust fund. You know, the state has trust funds for all kinds of things. So we asked if they would establish that for vocational school building projects. Uh, so that's one piece of it. Then the other piece is to increase that MSBA reimbursement 75% uh, or you know, the, like a sliding scale up to 90%. Yeah, so there are two different pieces for the funding. The bill numbers are uh, 538 for uh, the, sorry, it's uh, number 538 for um, the House and 274 with Feeney for the Senate. Um, I can tell you, you know, based on what Karen just said, 
I don't think it's too late for you to write the education committee, and I'm glad to help anybody navigate the website on how to send those emails. Um, my daughter's here as a junior. I'm a graduate of 1991. My parents are 72 and 78 and live in Medway. And the discussion in our own household is, you know, it is a lot of money to a lot of people. And I work, I volunteer at our local food pantry. Um, so I think, like you, I'm seeing it across the board. Uh, the select board and I have spoken, and you know, it, it's it's a very challenging situation. But as it was just said, it's also a necessity because if it doesn't pass, there's a huge price tag that I believe wouldn't be bonded. So we really need to consider that and how we all come together and just write the legislators to tell them the impact it's going to put on the community. Um, so just so you know, Senator Roche um, has supported, supports the legislation. She came for a tour, and um, she's a, a supporter of and a co-sponsor of this legislation. Senator Feeney, of course. Um, and then we have um, Jeff Roy was one. Uh, the list goes on and on. So most of our most of our um, representatives and senators. Garlic. Garlic. Uh, she's also on the education committee, so that's good. And uh, Rebecca Rush is on the education committee, so that's that's good. So we, you know, we do have some momentum, with them, but we'll see. We'll see. Well, thank you very much. I appreciate you all coming out to hear us and see our presentation. And I hope you have a martini. <laughs> We are now producing this in collaboration with Franklin TV and Franklin Public Radio. This podcast is my public service effort for Franklin, but we can't do it alone. We can always use your help. How can you help? If you can use the information that you find here, please tell your friends and neighbors. If you don't like something here, please let me know. Through this feedback loop, we can continue to make improvements. And I thank you for listening. For additional information, please visit franklinmatters.org. If you have questions or comments, you can reach me directly at suresteve at gmail.com. The music for the intro and exit was provided by Michael Clark and the group East of Shirley. The piece is titled Ernesto Manana, copyright Michael Clark and Tintype Tunes in 2008, and used with their permission. I hope you enjoy. By the way, you can also subscribe and listen to Franklin Matters Radio on your favorite podcast app. Search in podcasts for Franklin Matters.